0: And this is one of our favorite uh, Sundays, if you haven't figured it out by now. Uh, this is Baptism Sunday. And uh, we are, yes, we are going to celebrate here in just a few moments as we watch several uh, people take their next steps in their walk with God. And I tell you, as a pastor, really as a Christian, but specifically as a pastor, uh, days like this encourage me. Uh, They stir me, they excite me, because I know that people are changing. People are learning about God, people are taking steps, they're growing, and this is exciting to us. And if you're a Christian here this morning, this should excite you to know that people are taking their next steps in their walk with God. And speaking of, of walk with God, if you've been going to church for any sort of time, you've probably heard the phrase, the Christian walk, and uh, actually, I think that it would be very fitting this morning that as we uh, do baptisms today, that we would actually begin a three-part series called The Christian Walk. Maybe you've heard it called uh, The Walk of Faith or someone's walk with God. How many ever heard uh, anything like that reference before? Like walk being compared to your relationship with God. Okay, so I'm not the only one. And I think there are a lot of parallels when it comes to a walk in someone's relationship with Jesus. For example, there's three things really right off the bat that come to mind. When someone is walking, they're doing three things. They're standing upright, they're moving forward, and they're getting closer to where they are going. And I think the same is true in our walk with Jesus, that we're standing upright. In other words, we're walking in righteousness, we're walking in confidence, we know who we are in Christ, We're moving forward, or we should be moving forward, and we're getting closer to, or we should say it like this, we're becoming more and more like Jesus as we walk on this adventure of the Christian walk. Now, over the course of these next three weeks, I want to look at this this progressive journey on which we're on as Christians. And I want to begin today with a message that I'm going to simply title, Fresh Start." And we are going to take a look at what happens as we begin this Christian walk. Now, many of you may know this and some of you may not, but the Christian walk actually begins the moment that we accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. That's when it begins, the moment that we accept Jesus. Now, now, how does, how does that happen? How do we accept Jesus? Well, first of all, we have to realize that, that we're in need of a Savior, that we're in need of forgiveness. We have to realize that, that uh, without Jesus, that we'll never be reconciled with God. Without Jesus, we'll never be in right standing with God. Without Jesus, we'll never make it into heaven. So we have to acknowledge the fact that we are indeed a sinner in need of, of salvation. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. It says that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, in other words, confess that Jesus is the Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, what's going to happen to you? You are going to be saved. If you believe in your heart that the Lord is who He says that He is, and you confess Him as Lord and believe that God raised Him from the dead, you are going to be saved. Now, if you have done that this morning, then you have begun the Christian walk. You have been born again. You have been saved. You have been given a fresh start. But what happens next? And, and what is that supposed to look like? What's supposed to change? What is supposed to look different about me? Because I, I think a lot of us, we have those questions. I've known people who've come and they've given their life to Christ and then a couple weeks go by and they think, well, nothing's changed. Nothing Feels any different? I don't look any different. So I want to answer some questions this morning because maybe some of you are here today and you might think, okay, well I've 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 done this. I've confessed the Lord Jesus. I've believed in my heart. Uh, I've confessed Him with my mouth. I have been saved, but nothing really is any different. And maybe if you maybe if you have those questions this morning, my intent today is to give you some some basic essentials to help you understand that if you have done this, you have have believed upon Jesus, you've began this Christian walk, and that you are changed, but there's something about you that you need to understand. That not everything changes the moment that you give your life to Christ. There are some things that have to be Uh, walked out in your life and there's some things that you need to walk through and some disciplines that you need to implement in order to experience all the freedom that God has for you. Now when we do give our life to Christ, we are saved, we are born again, but Many times we, we begin to ask the question, okay, well, I've given my life to Christ, but, but I still have these, these bad habits. I still have these temptations. I still have these impure thoughts. What in the world is going on? And when a lot of people have those questions, they begin to wonder and they begin to think, did I really get saved? And so I want to help you with that. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Many of you are not even going to have to open your Bibles. Many of you already know what this Scripture says and i would highly encourage you that that you need to memorize this verse this as a child of god this is a verse that needs to be in your arsenal of weapons you need to know this verse by heart here's what the bible says in second corinthians 5:17 it says anyone who belongs to christ has become what a new person The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Now, you you have to know this. As a Christian, you need to memorize this verse. If anyone is in Christ, or if anyone who belongs to Christ, if they've given their life to Christ, they have become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. But what does that mean? I don't know about you. Now, it's been several years since I've given my life to Christ. I did that many, many years ago. And the Bible tells me that I became a brand new person, but there's a lot of things that were very similar that did not change at the moment of salvation. In other words, I still had bad thoughts. I still would say some things that that I shouldn't say. I still had some bad habits that, that, that followed me into this this new journey. Is anybody hearing me this morning? There were some things that you would make you question. Well, I thought that I was saved. I thought I'd been given a new life, but yet I still find myself doing some of the old things. But the Bible says that if we belong to Christ and we're a new person, the old life is gone, and a new life has begun. so So what does that mean what? What does that look like? What is it actually supposed to happen? Or what does happen when I get saved? If I don't see a lot of things that are different, then what really happened? I want to take just a few moments here, and I want to to give you an overview of the history of man and his relationship with God, and, and why it is necessary for us to accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. One of the things that we have to understand is that that when God made the first human beings, Adam and Eve, when God made them, He made them perfect. They were perfect individuals. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me that they were created in His image, in His likeness. In other words, they were created with His characteristics. They were created to bear His likeness. They were, they were created to enjoy the quality of life that God enjoys. They were, they were created to have eternal life. Man was never created to experience death. Man was never created to experience pain, never created to experience hurts or sicknesses. He was created to experience life and life to the full. So what happened? What happened? Why why do we not experience that? Why do we experience some of these things that I just mentioned there that man was never created to experience? Well, we know that the man disobeyed God's commands. He sinned. He went against God's instructions. And when he sinned, his sin brought all kinds of consequences into our world, including death, pain, and sickness. But not just physical death, really more importantly, it brought spiritual death. When man sinned and disobeyed God, man was removed from God's presence. He could no longer walk in close fellowship with God. He could, he could no longer experience the joy of God's presence. And because of his sin, the consequences of sin, which included spiritual death, have been passed down to every human being on this planet. All of us. And as a result, everyone who is born today, and who was born yesterday, and three years ago, and five years ago, and who will be born next week, are born into sin. They are born in need of a Savior. They are born in need of forgiveness. Without a Savior, there is no hope of restoration with God. Without a Savior, there's no hope of eternal life. Without a a Savior, there's no hope um, of eternity with God. But the good news is found in John 3.16. Many of you know this. God loved the world so much... That He gave His only Son. That if we would believe in Him, we would not perish, but have everlasting life. That Son that God gave to the world was who? Was Jesus. And Jesus willingly gave His life and died on the cross to pay for our sins so that we could be made right with God. All of our sin has to be paid for. And the way that it's paid for is through... Death, the Bible says in Romans 6:23, the wages of sin is what? Is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So when it comes to the payment of our sins, we have two choices. One, we can try to pay for our own sins by spending eternity in hell, or We can accept what Jesus has done to pay the penalty for our sins and trust in Him and be made right with God. Now, I don't know about you, but that second option is a lot better than the first. I'm going to trust in Jesus to make me right with God. That's what it means. When we trust in Jesus, we're making Him the Lord of our life. Now, that word Lord, we don't use a whole lot today, but that word Lord simply means manager. Trusting in Jesus is to make him the manager of your life. That's what it means when someone says, I've trusted in Jesus. That means that you have made him the manager of your life. In other words, he, he's the boss. He's, he's the one I, I follow his instructions. He's the one that I answer to. That means that if I've trusted in Jesus and made him the manager of my life, then I am going to live according to his word and I'm going to live according to his standards. Because He's the manager of my life. He's the one that I choose to follow. And as you begin to do that, watch this, as you begin to make Jesus the manager of your life, you will begin to experience the life that Jesus wants you to have. Well, what kind of life does Jesus want me to have? Jesus said in John ten ten, I have come so that they might have life. And what kind of a life does He want us to have? life to the full. An abundant life. Now I think it would be safe to say this morning that not everyone in this room is living life to the full. Not everyone is enjoying this abundant life that Jesus has come to give. Not everyone is enjoying a life of freedom. Not everyone is enjoying a blessed, life. Many of you in this room today are born again. Many of you are saved. You're on your way to heaven, but you're not experiencing this life right here that Jesus has come to give you. And I really felt deeply moved by the Holy Spirit this week to, to teach on this. There's a, a lot of people here. I'm, we're not questioning our salvation. We know we've given our life to Jesus Christ. We know we've begin this, begun this Christian walk. But Why aren't we experiencing the freedoms that Jesus said that He has come to give? And my responsibility as your pastor is to teach you how to experience this life of freedom. That's that's my role, is to teach you how to implement things into your life so you'll begin to unpack this life to the full that Jesus said that He's come to give you. So if you want to be taught this morning... Look at John chapter 4, verse 24. I want to show you something very interesting. The Bible says here in John 4, 24, and it says more than this, but I just want to stop right here. God is a spirit. Now, why is that important? Why in the world do I need to know that God is a spirit? Because as I told you at the beginning of this message, we were created in the image of God. You and I are were created in God's image, in God's likeness. So if God is a spirit and we were created to be like him, we were created in his image, we were created in his likeness, then we are spiritual beings. You you have to know this, okay? I, I know for some of you it's like, well, this is weird. Am I a ghost? No, yeah. You're a spiritual being. Now, we don't understand everything about the Spirit. I I don't claim to understand everything about it, but I do know that God is a Spirit, and if we were created in His image and in His likeness, then then I am a spirit. I'm going somewhere with this, so just, just, just hang on. You are a spiritual being. We were created like God in His image, but that doesn't mean physically, because all of us look different. But it means... Spiritually, God made us spiritual beings and that's how we connect with Him. Now that's extremely important for you and I to know that we are a spiritual being. We possess a soul which is made up of your mind, your will and your emotions and even your feelings are included in that. We live in a body but we are a spirit. We're a spiritual being. We we possess a a soul, mind, will, uh, emotions and feelings, but we live in a body, but we are a spiritual being. Now here's why this is important for you and I to know this. Because the only part of you that gets made new at the moment of salvation is your spirit. That's the only part. Now, hopefully you're tying some of this together. That's why I said that. A lot of times, when people give their lives to God, and then they go home, and then they, the real life happens. They go to work on Monday morning, and people are cranky, and people are crabby and moody, and you know you're you're quick to to spout off things that you shouldn't say, and all of, all of a sudden you're like, "Wait a second! I thought I was I thought I was born again. I thought I'd been given a new life; that the old was gone. Obviously, it's not gone because I just still said some things that I used to say before I gave my life to Jesus." So, then, what of the world is made new at the moment of salvation? Is our body made new? That would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> I think we, this church would be packed this morning. People would come in. I need Jesus. <laughs> I want to look different. Our, our, our thoughts don't get saved, our emotions don't get saved, our feelings don't get saved. The only part about us that gets saved at the moment of salvation and the only part that gets made new is your spirit. Your feelings don't get saved. That's why you cannot let your feelings determine whether or not you're a child of God. Because your feelings will lie to you. and tell you see Robert, not anything's different so you didn't even get born again. But we're not saved based off of the way that we feel. We're saved by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We're saved by believing, by accepting what Jesus has done for us. Look at Romans 3.26. It says, God declares sinners to be right in His sight when they do what? When they feel like they're saved? When, when, When they feel like they've been born again? No. He declares us to be right in His sight when they believe in Jesus when they trust in Jesus, when they put their faith in Jesus, when they get saved, when they begin that Christian walk, that's when God makes us right. Praise the Lord. Don't ever forget that. Because there are going to be times where your feelings are going to lie to you. You can't let your feelings define who you are. You can't let your past define you. You can't let who other people say you are define you. You're defined by the Word of God. The Bible says, if I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I am a new person. You've been given a fresh start. Now that's that's a short summary of why we need Jesus and what happens when we receive Him. And and this next part, as we begin this Christian walk, this next part is where your journey to freedom begins. And that's what I want to teach you this morning. That's where your journey to freedom begins. Jesus came to give us life to the full. Jesus came to give us a life of freedom. And that freedom happens as you begin to grow in Christ. Freedom happens as you begin to grow in Christ. I think one of the greatest illustrations, and I use this a lot in my messages, I use this a lot to try to explain um, the abundant life and living life to the full It's the illustration of Lazarus, uh, the dead man that Jesus raised to life. You can find this story in John chapter 11. Lazarus had been dead. Everybody say dead. He's dead (laughs) for four days. And in verse 43 of John 11, it says this, Then Jesus, he comes to the grave, Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. Who come out? The dead man came out. Watch this. His hands and his feet were bound in grave clothes. Is he alive? Yes. Is he free? No. He's still bound. But was the dead man raised to life? Absolutely. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes. His face was wrapped in a headcloth, And Jesus told them, watch this, Told the people this. Unwrap him and let him go. The dead man was raised to life, but he still resembled a dead man. He he, he was alive, but he wasn't free. I, he's, he's wrapped like a mummy. He's, he's alive, he's breathing, but it but he's not free. There was another part of his journey that needed to take place. Are y'all tracking with me? He had been raised to life but but there was another part of the process that needed to happen. He still needed to get free. He still needed to experience that freedom. And I believe that this is where many of us are this morning. We've accepted Jesus but we're not enjoying freedom. We're still depressed. We still struggle and, with anxiety and fears. We still struggle with bad habits. We still have addictions. We still have, you know, moody days. We still have times where we just lash out at people on social media. We, we're, we're just we're not happy in our marriages. We're not happy in our families. We're just, we're, we're 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 born again, but we're not experiencing freedom. You've been made right with God, but you're not walking in the abundant life. Now, I'm going to share a principle with you this morning, and I've shared this many, many times, and it's a principle that I have learned to live by. And I believe that if you will embrace this principle, you will have a radical change in your life. And here's the principle. Are you ready? Here we go. The quality of life that you experience is determined by the level of commitment or the level of discipline that you stay committed to. The quality of life that you experience is determined by the level of discipline that you stay committed to. If you want to experience health and physical fitness, then you have to commit to a certain level of discipline. You have to watch what you eat. You have to go to the gym and work out or go walking or jogging. In other words, to experience that 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 quality of life, if you want to experience health and and physical fitness, you have to commit to certain levels of discipline. It doesn't just happen. Are are y'all awake? There are disciplines that have to be implemented in order to experience those benefits that you're looking for. And I believe the same is true when it comes to experiencing the freedom that Jesus wants you to have. You have to stay committed to a certain level of disciplines. Now, I'm not talking about being made right with God. We're not made right with God by committing to disciplines. We're made right with God as we've already proven when we believe in Jesus, right? But I'm talking about experiencing life to the full, experiencing the freedom, loosing ourselves from the grave clothes that we're still bound with. There are disciplines that we need to commit to. Requires forming some new habits. Sometimes it requires hanging around a different group of people letting go of some of the friendships that you have. But you need to know that your road to freedom can start today. It can start this morning. But it's going to start by you making up your mind that you're going to follow Jesus and you're going to commit to some disciplines so that your life can be different. Well, Scott, can can you at least share some disciplines that we need to commit to so that we can begin experiencing this this, this freedom? Yeah, I'm glad that you asked that, because I would love to. I, I would love to share with you some disciplines that you can commit to in order to experience this quality of life that God has for you. Okay, we're talking about experiencing freedom. How many want to experience freedom in your life? I think all of us do. Okay, so let me give you three disciplines that we can implement in order to experience the freedom that Christ has for us. And here's the first one. Write this down. Attend church faithfully. Aren't you thankful you came to church today? <laughs> Attend church faithfully. Be here every service. Now I understand there are some times you're going to take vacation and there are some certain, certain things that, that you're just going to miss. I understand that. But you need to make every effort to be at church every single Sunday. And here's why. Because every single Sunday, you are going to be taught the Word of God. And the Word is what transforms us. The Word is what changes us. The Word is what renews our thoughts so that we can think differently. The Word is what strengthens us. The Word is what brings encouragement. The Word is our source of hope. The Word is is wisdom. The Word is everything that we need to live a life of freedom. And I can promise you this. Now, you you may not like the way that I run a church. You may not like the way that I handle certain problems in the church or deal with confrontation. or You may not like certain things about me. But I can promise you this, that when I stand up here on this stage, I am going to teach you the Word of God. I I am going to teach you what God has laid upon my heart this week to share with you. I am going to teach you in a way that you can... There's going to be no excuse. Well, I just didn't understand what he was talking about. I'm going to teach you applications to, to implement into your life so you can put this into practice and walk it out. That's my role. That's my gifting is to teach you the Word of God. So there are several verses in the Bible that show us how important the Word is, but there's one particular verse or passage of Scripture that really... Spells it out, and I want to read it to you. In fact, we read this last week, but I want to uh, read it again. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 through 22, it says this My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words, don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, talking about the Word of God. Why, Why do we need to do that? Because they bring life to those who find them. And the Word brings healing to our bodies. This is why why it's so important to commit to attending church faithfully so we can be taught the Word of God because that Word is going to bring life to those who will find it and it's going to bring health to our bodies. Wow, that that one passage of Scripture right there makes me want to be at church every single time the doors are open so that I can be taught the Word of God. The Word is important. And that's what we're going to do here is we're going to teach the Word of God. Here's the second principle that we need to to commit to in order to experience a life of freedom. That's to pray every day. Pray every day. Prayer is simple communication with God. That's all it is. It's simple communication with God. And just like with any relationship, communication is vital. How many realize that in marriage? Communication is, is vital. Without communication, the relationship grows stagnant. And when your relationship with God grows stagnant, you have no supernatural strength working in your life. Write this down. Prayer is an access point that connects us with the supernatural. When I pray, it connects me with the supernatural. Prayer is that access point. And when I get connected with the supernatural, supernatural things happen. Depression is dispelled. Strongholds are, are, are destroyed. Addictions are broken. Marriages are healed. Families are restored. When we connect with the supernatural, supernatural things happen. Now prayer a lot of times we, prayer, prayer scares us, and, and if you've ever tried praying, you know it, it can be difficult. But it doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be awkward. In fact, I believe there are some things that we can, that we can grab a hold of to make prayer um, uh, easy and even enjoyable. Somebody's like, "I don't know if prayer's ever enjoyable." It can be enjoyable. There there are three things I want to share with you real quick. Three three things that I have learned that have helped me to develop a successful prayer life. And these are three things I believe I've shared before, but I think it's fitting to share them this morning. Three keys to developing a successful prayer life. Number one, prayer has to become a priority. It has to become a priority. A priority is what you do first. A priority is the most important thing that needs to take place. And if you're going to have a successful prayer life, then prayer has to become a priority. Uh, pe- people say all the time, well, I'm just, um, I'm just too busy to pray. Or I just, I just can't find time to pray. L- let me help you with something this morning. You are never going to find the time to pray. You have to make the time to pray. You can't. You're not going to find it. I don't know if everybody's just, oh look, prayer time, let's go for it. You have to make time to pray. That's why I believe that first thing in the morning is the best time to pray. Because it allows you to put God first. And it ensures that you're always going to have time to pray. All you got to do if you say, well I just don't have time, all you got to do is set your alarm for 5 or 10 minutes earlier. I tell you, I give you practical teaching. This is practical teaching. Wake up five to ten. Just start with five, okay? Let's not, let's not try ten right off the bat. If you haven't been waking up and praying, let's try five. Just wake up five minutes earlier and put God first. Pray. Talk to God. Morning prayer, it also sets a precedent for the rest of the day. You're ready to take on the day because you've made prayer a priority. The second key to a successful prayer life that you need to do is that you need to find a place to pray. Everybody say place. You need to find a place to pray. Now, now right off the bat, you may think, well, that's not that big of a deal. I'll just pray wherever. that's fine. But I have found that that sometimes I lose focus when I'm not in in a good place uh, to pray. When, When you do finally... Uh, find the time to to pray we 're often distracted by things that are going on around us. For example, it, for those of you that 's ever tried praying before, you have run into this before. You make time to pray, you sit down to pray, the phone rings, the dog barks the TV 's on and a commercial comes on and and that catches your eye, or a show comes on that catches your eye. Or you're, you're praying near a window, and, and your neighbor's doing something crazy out in the yard, and so you lose focus with God, and you just start watching the neighbor. If anybody ever found that to be true? You're just distracted. You're like, nope, you never tried praying. <laughs> because if you try praying, that's what's going to happen. So you have to find a place to pray. Maybe it's your closet. Maybe it's your, your bedroom, maybe it's your bathroom, I don't know. Maybe it's your garage, or your office, maybe it's in your car. Just don't close your eyes if you're doing that in your car. But find a place to pray so that you can spend some quality time with God without any distractions. I'm telling you, this is important. Somebody's like, well, I'm a multitasker. Well, that's, that's great, but there needs to be some quality time spent with God so that you can hear the voice of God. So that you can have worship with the Father. So that you can have that that intimate relationship. Prayer has to be a priority and you have to find a place to pray. And then the third key to a successful prayer life is that you need to have a plan to follow. A plan to follow. Now once again, this doesn't sound like it's that important. But for those of you that that struggle with knowing what to say when you're praying or, or know how to pray or... Um, you know why you should be praying, it's great to have a plan to follow. And a plan is simply an outline or a, or, or a guide, something that's going to keep you moving. Or in this particular case, it would be called a prayer list. And it's pretty simple to do. You write down certain uh, people's names that you want to cover in prayer. You write down things that you want God to help you uh, deal with. Maybe there are some goals that you have that you want God to help you with. Maybe there's some addictions or bad habits that you have that you want freedom from. Uh, you can always pray for our president. You can always pray for the uh, the military. You can always pray for our city council, our judges, and quorum court, especially with what's going on right now. And when you here's what happens: when you make out a list, you you don't have to follow it every single time. You don't have to go you know word for word. But it's there to fall back on if you get stuck in your prayer, or if you if if you just find yourself saying the same thing over and over, and and I'm just, I'm trying to give you practical application because there's been time before I had a prayer list and I would start praying. I'd look at the clock and say, right now it's 11 for And so I pray for why God, thank you for my family. God, I just pray that you'd be with my kids today. Um, Let's see. What else? God, Um, you look at the clock. It's still 1115. God, I, you know, ask you to protect the kids at school. And you know, you're just, you're just kind of stuck. You're, God appreciates the, the relationship, but you're just like, you're, you're like, come on, let's get with it. What, what, what are you asking from me this morning? And so this is something, if you have a, a, if a plan to follow, you can always fall back on. You can always cover your parents, your kids, your, your pastors, your leaders, all these things. You've got a prayer list, a plan to follow. While we're talking about developing a successful prayer life. Priority, place. And plan. And I can promise you this that if you'll implement these three dynamics into your prayer life, your relationship with God is going to go to another level. So, we're looking at disciplines this morning on, on experiencing the life of freedom. I've taught you that we need to attend church faithfully, and we need to pray every day. And then the last one is we need to read and study the Bible. Read and study the Bible. Now this this seems elementary, but we're talking about experiencing freedom because there are people that are in this room today and I promise you that they're not experiencing freedom. They're throwing their hands up. I tried this Christian walk one time. It didn't work out. I'm telling you that the problem is not God's. The problem is our priorities. The problem is our lack of disciplines in our life to tune into the Word of God and to seek and to... To, to pursue the things that God has for us. And if we can get to that place to where we're doing that, we're going to begin to experience this life to the full that God has for us. So four things that you need to understand about the Bible. I'm going to move through these really quickly because we've got baptisms to get to. Number one, the Bible is God's plan for our lives. It's His plan for our lives. It's like, it's like the owner's manual. It's like how this thing works. What's this thing supposed to do? What's my purpose in life? Well, there's a good book to read to discover your purpose in life. It's called the B-I-B-L-E. God's Word is the pl- His plan for our life. What's this? Psalms 119, 105. It says, Your Word, speaking of the Lord's Word, God's Word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. In other words, when I don't know what to do, when, when I don't know the decisions that need to be made, I go to God's Word and it's going to illuminate my path. It's going to be a light to guide me. It's going to be there to, to show me what to do. So His Word shows us how to live our lives and it reveals God's will for every area of our lives. You need help in your marriage. You need help in your relationship with your kids. You need help in your relationship with your coworkers. God's Word gives practical application. Second thing that we need to understand about the Bible is that reading God's Word is one of the ways that God talks to us. People say all the time, well, just God never speaks to me. Well, how long has it been since you read His Word? Because every time you read the Word of God, God speaks to you. It's like, it's like a letter. It's His letter to us. The problem is that it's not that God's not speaking, it's that we're not listening. We're not taking time to look at His Word. Third thing that we need to understand about the Bible is that spending time in His Word renews us as we become more like Him. We're talking about experiencing life to the full. We're talking about this Christian walk so we can experience all that God has for us. As I begin to read the Word of God, it begins to renew me as I become more and more like Him. Colossians 3.10 says this, Be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. The more we learn about God, the more we become like Him. His Word renews us. And then the fourth thing that we need to understand about the Bible is that... The Word builds our faith. The Word builds our faith. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes from hearing. That is, hearing the good news about Jesus. Or you could shorten that by saying that faith comes by reading the Word of God or hearing the Word of God. The more the Word of God that we read, the more our faith grows. And the more our faith grows, the more confident we are in who God is and who we are as His children. There's a lot of people, that usually, they just need some confidence. They just need some security about themselves. And when you read the Word of God, it builds your faith. You begin to see who God is, and you begin to see who you are because you've trusted in Him. So these three disciplines right here, attending church faithfully, praying every day, reading and studying the Bible, are the keys to you experiencing life to the full. They're the keys to you experiencing a life that brings freedom. If you want freedom in your life, begin to implement these disciplines. Attend church faithfully, pray every day, and read and study the Word of God. Now I can tell you this, anytime you get ready to commit to any sort of disciplines, guess what that it is not. It is not easy. (laughs) It can be tough. It can be difficult. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, when you have given your life to Jesus, He has made you new. Now inside of you indwells the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to help you. He's going to give you strength. He's going to be there to encourage you and give you the support that you need. As a believer, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and He is going to help you implement these uh, disciplines into your life. And God is going to do great things in you and through you. Do you believe that this morning? then let's get a hold of this and let's begin to implement these things in our life and watch the Holy Spirit work.